So welcome to another episode of the RMIT Social Innovation Hub podcast, Space for Change. My name is Rachel Wells and I'm a journalist and storyteller across RMIT's applied innovation space. Before I introduce our guests on behalf of RMIT and our guests, I would like to acknowledge the people of the Woiwurrung and Boomerang language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations on whose unceded lands we conduct the business of the university. I respectfully acknowledge their ancestors and elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where RMIT conducts our business. So in today's episode, we're going to explore the topic of applied innovation in action. We're going to talk a bit about RMIT's continued and expanding work in applied innovation, and we're going to t- where we're testing and growing long-term institutional responses to a raft of social, urban and economic challenges. And we're also going to explore how the focus of applied innovation has changed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. To do all this, we're speaking with three individuals who between them and indeed individually have a great deal of experience when it comes to applied innovation and driving transformation through innovation across a variety of sectors, from health and public policy to social services and justice. I'd like to introduce Professor Vishal Kishore, RMIT's Director of Applied Innovation and the Director of the RMI Cisco Health Transformation Lab, located at the Social Innovation Hub. Welcome, Vishal. Thank you, Rachel. Lovely to be here. I'd also like to introduce Michaela Cronin, who is the Director of the Future Social Service Institute. Welcome, Michaela. Thank you, Rachel. Nice to be part of the conversation. Thank you. And Rob Hulls, uh, of course, is the Director of the Centre for Innovative Justice, also located within the Social Innovation Hub at RMIT. Welcome, Rob. Rachel, nice to be with you. Thanks, Rob. Vishal, I might start with you if I can. Um, As a Professor of Innovation and Public Policy at RMIT, uh, can you give us a little bit of an explanation of what applied innovation actually is and how it relates specifically to social innovation? Uh, Of course, Rachel, and and thank you. And and I think you framed some of it really well when you started. Uh, you, You mentioned the idea of action, and I think that's really what our applied innovation work at RMIT is all about. Um, We know that there are challenges to our existing economies, our existing systems, our existing social uh, provision networks, and our existing uh, welfare systems and structures. We know that that we know that we could be, we know that individual, individually and collectively, we could be flourishing better. We know that people could be less vulnerable. We know that there's injustice to be uh, addressed. And I think the fundamental point of applied innovation is to um, uh, be a way for RMIT to bring its insights, its research, its wealth of uh, talented students and academics and intellectuals towards solving some of those really sharp real world problems. Those, uh, the, those problems that really exist and challenge us out there in the world of economy and society. Um, so I think the first concept behind our applied innovation work is action. And I think the second concept, uh, as I'm sure um, my friends who are also part of this podcast will tell you about, is collaboration. So all of our applied innovation work is collective innovation. It's about, um, it's about doing things together, often with coalitions of people who perhaps don't often talk to each other. 
So that would be the second element. And then the third and final element of our applied innovation work, I think, is, is impact. We are interested in making a difference um, in our economies, in our businesses, in our institutions, to our politics, um, to people's lives in a very tangible and real way. Um, I take a lot of uh, inspiration from Rob, Hull, Rob Hulls on this one. Um, it's all well and good for us to think about grand ideas um, and uh, to think about new approaches and theor theoretical constructs. But if we're not changing somebody's experience uh, out there in the world, um, it feels all a little bit hollow. It feels a little bit abstract. It feels a little bit, um, it feels like we're missing an important beat. And uh, so I, I think implied in all of that is a particular way of thinking about solving social problems, um, a, a particular way of focusing our attention on urgent social needs. And of course, there's no such thing as a society that can't provision for itself. So we have to think a lot about economics whenever we do any of this work as well. So Rachel, hopefully that gives a bit of a, a feeling for what we're on about in applied innovation. It certainly does, Vishal. And I think um, you mentioned the word urgent towards the end there. And I think there's probably been never, certainly not in, in our lifetimes, a more urgent time to apply innovation to some of the um, multitude of challenges that we're currently facing as a result of the, the, the health pandemic we're all facing. Um, has the, this current COVID-19 crisis uh, reframed the way we look at applied innovation? innovation? I mean, are we seeing more value in investing in applied innovation more sharply? Are we seeing applied innovation action on a much greater or faster scale than we have for a very long time? Um, yeah. I'd be keen to hear your, your thoughts on that, Vishal. Uh, beautiful, Rach, thanks. Um, I, think, uh, I think there's two kinds of things. I think uh, during times of ease and comfort, innovation is one of those nice things to have. Uh, it's sort of one of those things that uh, the cool kids do uh, who are riding fixed wheel bikes and going around in startups. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a growth area and it's, a kind of a, it's almost a nice to have. Whereas I think what we're experiencing at the moment is we have to innovate. We have to innovate because we're facing uncertainty. We're facing things that we don't know. Um, we're facing questions that don't have clear answers. And we are just uh, confronted constantly by the, um, the insufficiency of our existing ways of doing things. So in, the con in that kind of context, doing new things, new ideas, new collaborations, new approaches, innovation, is absolutely, it comes to the fore, doesn't it? It becomes something that we really need to focus on. Um, and I think, so I think it's all become, as you say, um, Rach, it's become all the more urgent for us. And it's moved from something that for a lot of people, though probably not for anybody on this podcast, but for a lot of people, something that was, oh yes, innovation, that's a nice to have. That's just something we should do, uh, you know, uh, because it's cool or it's, uh, it's funky or it's interesting. Actually, no, no, no. Survival depends on our ability to do things differently. Um, it's a, it, it's the sharp end of innovation. And so we in the Health Transformation Lab have been doing a, an incredible amount of work with hospitals that are trying to become more resilient and dynamic and indeed anti-fragile in the way that they think about infrastructure and repurposing it from one thing to another. Our social innovation hub has become, uh, became just before the lockdown, a place where people from all over were 
bringing supplies to be defrayed into different parts of our systems, whether to vulnerable individuals, to frontline health workers, um, uh, sharing, pooling, finding new conversations and new collaborations. Um, so actually, I think, and I, I'm sure exactly the same, I know that Michaela and Rob have, have never been busier in a sense, and I think this is a, a testament to the importance of applied innovation uh, at this current moment uh, for us all. That's great for Charles. Um, and I think also one of the things you mentioned earlier was about the importance of collaboration in um, applying innovation. And that's something I wanted to speak to Michaela about. Um, as director of the Future Social Service Institute, uh, which is a very unique collaboration between RMIT and VCOS, which is, of course, Victoria's peak social advocacy body. Um, I'm keen to get your perspective on the benefits of collaboration when it comes to translating innovation into creating meaningful impact in our society. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. And I would absolutely agree. I'm smiling as I'm listening to Vishal because the, some of the dot points I've got in front of me, he hit every single one of them. Um, collaboration is not easy. We would, we would all be doing it all the time if it was easy. Um, and we would all be innovating. And, and a lot of the problems that we're trying to deal with now, it's been quite extraordinary, the impact of COVID. Um, some of the work that we've been doing with Vicos and conversations with them about policy, strategy, structural change, things that they've been um, 18 months plans to, to drive change in particular ways that's in, so for example, the community, uh, the, the industry plans, the workforce industry planning. Um, there was one particular example that Emma King has talked about, but the plan was to implement it in 18 months and it was, it was achieved in like four weeks. Um, the partnership, so it's not, so my point is that collaboration is, is, is a difficult thing to do well. Part of the reason it's a difficult thing to do well is because it's it's not that easy to understand each other's drivers, language, different professions have very different approaches to things. The value that FISI brings, the Future Social Service Institute, is bringing together and constantly kind of helping um, helping draw out the value of different perspectives to address a challenge. So FISI um, brings together the, ha, has a very live um, real-time partnership with VCOS, which means that the, the engagement with, with the social service industry and understanding what their real problems are, what's the, what, what, not, what, not what academics or government think the problems are, but what is it that, that really they're the things that will make, will ha make, have that impact that Vishal talked about on people's lives, people's lives within the community. So having VCOS's input into helping shape and drive, what are the questions that we really need to be paying attention to um, and answering? FISI brings together VCOS, academic, um, both, both vocational and higher education is really important, I think, in terms of RMIT being a dual sector, having both of those streams and government and government's perspective on that. The other thing that I wanted to kind of draw into this is that FISI has had a very strong focus from the establishment of taking a co-designed approach to 
ensuring that people who have a lived experience of the problems that we're talking about is is brought into both understanding, prioritising and understanding what the challenges are and finding the solutions to that. So Fizzy is a, I, I liked what Bashal talked about in terms of that very pragmatic, practical, what are the challenges that people are experiencing and how do we do something about that? So the, the innovation that Fizzy is, is bringing all of those perspectives together and making sure that everybody that needs to be is around the table in coming up with solutions. Fantastic, Michaela. Um, and just in terms of the importance of having um, people involved with that lived experience, um, can you perhaps tell us a little bit about the kinds of adaptations you're seeing in response to the current pandemic across the social services sector? And I guess the role that, um, you know, having those voices at the table bring to kind of rolling out some of those interventions or, or adaptations? I think the the first thing I would draw on is the um, some of the examples that we've seen across the university in terms of um, how to move fast. So some of the courses that we've been involved in. So we, um, because I think that there's a there's a there's more work to do to understand how those things will the adaptations will stand up and stand the kind of test of time. There are a couple of things. I think one of the things that we're really seeing is um, back to a couple of the previous points we've made around. There's there's been an incredible um, uh, openness driven by necessity to change. One of the things that I know I heard quite a bit at the start was, oh, no, it can't be done. Can't be done taking that course online. Can't be done um, ensuring that people do, you know, first aid courses online. Just can't be done. Has to be done face to face. And then circling back round, it's, it has been done. It has been achieved. People have worked out what the workarounds are. So, one of the one of the other examples I remember hearing in one of the forums was people talking about how fantastic it was that um, they'd been able to get uh, people, um, young people who are, you know, um, significantly kind of disadvantaged, disadvantaged in terms of the resources they're able to access, whether it's Indigenous young people or otherwise, all of a sudden we managed to get iPads to them. We managed to get... Um, internet connectivity to people who didn't have it before. Now, those problems are not new problems. They've really got nothing to do with COVID. They were pre-existing and there was always a, oh, it can't be done for a whole range of reasons. Um, but they happened very fast overnight when people were not driven by, not were, were taking a solution-focused approach to the, the problems we're not driven by, you know, ideology or, oh, we've tried that in the past or, um, you know, budget constraints. Some of the, all of the barriers that stop those kinds of changes. Um, we, we paused. We just literally, I think the first class for the Higher Apprenticeship Program was the face-to-face -face class was to happen the week that everyone got told to work from home. So we paused the um, program for a month. And at the end of that, kind of we're a bit nervous about because the program's designed for mid-tier social service managers and leaders that those people were going to be absolutely slammed and really busy and they weren't going to want to come back to a program that was about developing their leadership capabilities. Well, our experience was the exact opposite. 
Um, we only had one student withdraw from the course and we've had no um, no dropouts and much higher um, attendance rates at things because people, and again, I think there's more work to be done in terms of understanding what the causal relationship is between what we're seeing now and what's driving that, whether or not there's, we've, we've seen lots of higher, I mean, across the sector, everyone's doing things on webinars or podcasts or vlogs, and there's been very high take up in that. Now, will that remain over time? I think we've kind of got to, got to see that. Um, but I think that there's a whole lot of things that the thresholds have come down things that people said just can't be done are happening and happening happening very quickly. And there's a lot more solution-focused approach to that. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Michaela. That's a really good insight into what's happening in your sector. Um, Rob Hulls, as I mentioned earlier, is the director of the Centre of Innovative Justice. Um, uh, interesting just hearing Michaela speaking a little bit about this idea of that things can't be done. Uh, Rob, I'd like to just to chat to you a little bit about the space that you work in. Um, previously, you've worked within the legal system. Um, you're a former Attorney General of Victoria and you have a deep understanding of Australia's criminal justice system. How challenging is it to apply innovation to one of our oldest systems here in Australia, uh, one we inherited a long time ago at the time of colonisation and a system, I guess, that is steeped in tradition and history and as I think you've said, old ways of doing things. Uh, yeah, it can be hard, but it has to be done if we're fair income about um, making changes and being involved in a justice system that is a positive intervention in people's lives. I, I, I think you're right. I think that for too long our justice system has been, uh, I suppose, designed by uh, lawyers and judges for lawyers and judges. Um, many aspects of legal practice have really past their use-by date, I would say, and are not fit for purpose uh, in the 21st century. We, I think, Rachel, we really need to look beyond lawyers and judicial officers um, uh, at the needs uh, and, and look at the needs of the main players of our justice system, and that is the user, uh, the customer, the, def the defendant, the victim, the witness. And too often, uh, innovation and um, reform, I suppose, in the justice system are aimed at delivering benefits for the system and its institutions rather than the users of the system. Um, governments often talk about improved efficiencies in our courts um, and that's driven by, you know, uh, the needs of government to ensure that uh, uh, courts and our justice system deal with as many uh, cases per year or per month as possible. Um, rather, we should be talking about the users of the system. Uh, you've got to ask as a community, is it better for a court user to have less time spent on their case, to be bundled through a very quick process without access to a lawyer, or if they do get access to a duty lawyer, that duty lawyer only has one minute to explain to them what just happened uh, in a very stressful and chaotic environment. Um, surely it would be much better to provide the time and space for a meaningful understandable interaction that treated the the participant in the process with dignity and respect, uh, that actually involved that participant uh, in the process that is going to affect them so uh, significantly. So um, I guess 
when it comes to developing new approaches to justice systems and processes, we've got to move away from only consulting with um, judges and lawyers uh, and consult with court users about how we can make the system better for them. Great. And Rob, I know that's something that you guys are doing incredibly well in there with um, some of your initiatives like supporting justice and open circle and so forth. Are these types of innovative interventions the kinds of things that we need to solve some of the problems that have plagued this old crime and punishment model, I guess, this old justice system for, for decades or if not centuries? Um, I mean, as you said earlier, is it imperative that we do start applying these in innovative interventions to help um, the participants or the users of this system, you know, some of the marginalised groups that we see overrepresented sure. in our prison system? Sure. We, we can take um, one of two views. We can take the view that the justice system is there to punish. It's an old crime and punishment model and, you know, uh, you break the law, uh, you, you do your time. Or we can take the view that society is much more complex than that and uh, a person's life will go along a certain track uh, and at some stage in their life, they might come into contact with the justice system, either as a victim, as a witness, uh, as a perpetrator. Uh, and the justice system can act as a bit of a trampoline. It can bounce their lives back on track. It can be a positive intervention in a person's life. How do you create that sort of system? Um, you've got to speak to the user and you'll find that um, unless you actually innovate uh, and ensure that that intervention with the justice system is a positive is a positive intervention in a person's life, as a community will end up spending more money on prison beds than hospital beds or, or school classrooms. So innovation in the justice space is all about addressing the needs of the people coming before the system. Yes, a person may have committed an offence, but if you're addressing their holistic needs, you ask why they've committed that offence. Why have they broken into that house to steal that television? It's because they have an addiction to drugs. That addiction to drugs has come about through mental health issues, through homelessness issues, through long-term unemployment issues, through family violence issues. Unless in a holistic and creative, innovative way, the justice system addresses all those issues, we'll just create this revolving prison door uh, where people go in and out of prison, keep committing offences, doesn't make us safer as a community. So innovation is about holistically addressing a people's needs and putting in place um, procedures and practices that can look at the whole, the whole person that's coming before the justice system. That's great, Rob. Um, and, and just quickly, has there been anything in particular that's come out of this current pandemic um, that has thrown up any specific new challenges or greater challenges within the criminal justice system that, that you at the Centre for Innovative Justice has been uh, involved in at all? Yeah, yeah. Look, we've been uh, obviously talking to a whole range of users and the courts and the like. And, and, and guess what? Um, COVID-19 um, has meant that uh, a lot of matters um, are dealt with online rather than have a huge 10am crush at the court where everyone is told to turn up at court at 10 o'clock in the morning um, and their case may not be heard until three in the afternoon. Um, what's happening now is people are given specific times where their matter will be heard online by the court 
far more orderly, far more sensible. It's an innovation that I hope the court will keep post COVID-19. Um, why should we have a crush of hundreds of people at our courts each day? Uh, uh, you know, if you if you had a, a, an appointment with a doctor at 10 o'clock and you wait in the doctor's waiting room and your doctor didn't see you until four o'clock in the afternoon, you'd report it, you'd be reporting your doctor to the to the health authorities. But that's been happening every day at every court around our state and our country for years. Uh, COVID-19, I think, has opened people's eyes to the fact that there can be a better way uh, that actually gives people more certainty. Um, so little things like that. Um, Rachel, uh, courts are, are looking at. There were some things that uh, they would rather do in person that they can't do now, and I understand that. Um, and hopefully post-COVID-19, they'll be able to return to having people appearing in their courts where they can speak um, you know, face-to-face -face with a judicial officer. But some small things like that 10 o'clock crush, um, hopefully will go forever as a result of uh, COVID-19. That's great, Rob. Thank you. And another example, I guess, of how um, you know the, the user experience too in this case has been um, benefited um, by that process. Thank you very much. I'll just come back quickly to Vishal before we um, we finish up. As we continue to respond to and recover from the social and economic challenges thrown up by COVID-19, along with the, the many other challenges we were already facing, as, as yourself and Robin Michaela have just talked about, how does RMIT as a global university and places like the Social Innovation Hub within RMIT contribute to this growing innovation ecosystem, I guess, um, as a way of not just helping to solve some of these shared problems, but also by translating or applying new ideas and innovations in a way that create long-term positive impacts? And it's a great question because I think um, we could fall after, after this COVID-19 pandemic or, or through this COVID-19 pandemic, we could fall into one of two errors. And um, the first error that we could make is to imagine that this lockdown period and the pandemic response period has created the new world. That, that the things that we're doing now of working online and learning online and, and utilizing these particular kinds of tools for at distance interaction, that that is the new world, that that's the new, what, what people are sometimes calling the new normal, that the, the new paradigm has come upon us. That's a mistake. We haven't brought about the new world We've just hacked the existing system. Um, uh, the, many of these things that we're doing are not sustainable, at least on their existing terms, forever. They're a good short fix, but they can't last like this forever. The second mistake that we could make, I think, is to imagine that after, whatever that means, after COVID-19, we should just spring back to exactly the way things were before. That would be the second mistake. I don't think we can do that either. I think the challenge for us is to find a way to learn the lessons of this period, to recognize that we have just undertaken one of the world's um, largest social and economic experiments, that we uh, can look at the way that we live and the way that we work and the, and, and the way that we learn and the way that we interact and find new ways, new settlements, new alternatives to, um, to some, of the more, some of the ways that we have just been doing things because that's just how we do things. 
So for an organization like RMIT um, and for a place like the Social Innovation Hub, I think the most important role that we can play is uh, as a place, as a forum, as a group of people, as a coalition, uh, as, a, as a hub in a network of people who are trying to discover that new future together, trying to experiment and learn and then re-experiment and relearn together. Um, and I think um, as a place where interested players, people who are interested in making social, economic um, or, or, or political change can come to meet other people who are doing that sort of thing um, and to collaborate to form new co coalitions and new action. So basically, I think what RMIT's applied innovation functions and organizations can be is a new platform to um, experiment into a new kind of future uh, for us at the level of the state, the nation, and indeed um, the region and the world. So I think it's an exciting it's an exciting proposition. It's a heavy proposition, but um, uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, nothing worthwhile socially or economically has ever really been accomplished without um, quite a bit of hard work. So it's great to be able to uh, be in a position to do some of that work with people like um, uh, Rob and Michaela and Rachel and Venetia and a range of others at the hub. And so uh, I, for one, am looking forward to doing it together.